infiltrate your business through email, enabling cyber criminals to hijack sensitive information as ransom for your own data's release, leveraging Barracuda email security with advanced threat a ransomware attack in its tracks. As an added measure, Barracuda Backup allows you to recover your data without having to surrender to extortion. Crime doesn't pay when you protect your business data with Barracuda. Go to barracuda.com slash ransomware to learn more. Good morning. 44 degrees at 9.04. I'm Michael Kaiser, DWS News. Headed for a high of 72 today, says Greg Solier. Sunny skies. Windy conditions, though. Winds 12 to 24 miles per hour and gusty. Mostly clear skies tonight. Low of 48th and partly cloudy skies. Tomorrow, headed for a high of 75. Tomorrow night, fair skies. Low of 49. Then on Friday, mostly sunny skies. Unseasonably mild, but headed for a high of 77. The normal high for this date is 64 degrees. So going to be above normal throughout the week here in East Central Illinois until on uh, maybe Sunday, temperatures start to dip below uh, right at 70 and get closer and closer to the normal high for this time of year. Right now, again, it's 44 degrees at 9.04. I'm Michael Kaiser, DWS News. Stay tuned for the first hour of A Penny for Your Thoughts with Jim Turpin up next here on DWS. Penny Lane, there is a bar Good morning, everybody, and welcome to A Penny for Your Thoughts. I'm Jim Turpin. We're doing our first uh, penny from our new studios uh, downtown in the News Gazette building. And we're having a joyous time down there today. And uh, a lot of people uh, coming by. We had balloons and all kinds of stuff going on. We're having a kind of a party. And I thought it was uh, totally appropriate that we have Appellate Court Justice Robert Steigman and our very first show here because uh, Bob Steigman, uh, we've been doing this to, together for how many years now? I think it's at least 36. How many? 36? 36. Since 81. <laughs> well, we keep doing it till we get it right. I think that's that's the goal, Jim. we got a lot of things to talk about, and here's the way you get on the air. This is a new number for you phone callers. Is this a temporary one, Ed, or is this a just uh, just for today? It's a temporary phone number. All right, we'll write this down then, 351-5667, 351-5667. And you can uh, text us at uh, 351-5357. So if uh, you'd like to get on the show and uh, talk to uh, Bob Steigman, we've... Uh, had a, a good run at uh, doing this, and we really believe that uh, you'll enjoy a couple of hours talking about, uh, who knows, we'll talk about the law, we'll talk about uh, politics, we'll talk about uh, a number of other things. A lot of it depends on you, what uh, what you would like to, uh, to talk about. So uh, 
Baba, let's uh, start out by uh, maybe you can fill us in on what's happening with the, uh, I call it an investigation. Is that uh, well, anything happening uh, here? No. Uh, I'm going to uh, ask that before anybody else does. No, it's uh, uh, the uh, Judicial Inquiry Board filed a complaint against me alleging that I had spoken to too many groups and uh, uh, had allegedly uh, engaged in improprieties in doing it, speaking to police, prosecutors, and doctors, and uh, we're in the process of responding to it, and uh, nothing will be happening on that, I guess, for at least a few more weeks or months. And as soon as we file something and they file something back, uh, they'll be public, and I'll let everyone know. Okay, good enough. Uh, <clears throat> I wanted to ask you, I, was, I got a call from uh, Michael McCuskey the other day, and he gave us some dates, so we're going to try to get the, the three amigos together one of these days. But That'd be fun. One of the things that uh, McCuskey uh, did was he was a federal judge, as most people know, and now he is a circuit judge. He wanted to get back in the courtroom. He said he liked that uh, day-to-day in the courtroom. And does that ever cross your mind? I mean, you've been uh, doing the appellate work, which is uh, basically uh, out of the courtroom but uh, into paperwork. Right. Well, being on the appellate court is a wonderful job. It's uh, really a blessing, great fun. Uh, but uh, that was uh, terrific and exciting, too. And I remember uh, <clears throat> I had the same feeling a lot of judges do when they first get on the appellate court, when I miss the action. And you do. But um, the appellate court is such a better job that uh, I, I really enjoy it that much more. The other thing is, uh, because I... Um, Wanted to have my cake and eat it too. What I would really like to do, and I've made uh, gestures in this direction, is I'd like to go back for two weeks a year, sometimes three, to 26th and Cal in Chicago where I held court because that was great fun and exciting. And it was a rather different atmosphere than here in Champaign County. And I did that for 11 years uh, in the 70s and 80s before I got assigned to the appellate court. But uh, back then we had a program that we no longer have. Uh, that's where trial judges from downstate, which is essentially everything outside of Cook County, would be assigned on a periodic basis based upon the circuit. We're in the Sixth Judicial Circuit, and I was a judge in that circuit, to go up to Cook County during the summer to essentially keep the court going full time when the judges up there would be taking vacations. Uh, It was um, a program that stopped, I think, in the mid-90s for whatever reason. I'm not sure. But that's how I happened to go up there, and I really enjoyed it a lot. Uh, But without that program now and with the state's funding being difficult, I suspect that uh, it's not going to happen again for me. But uh, your question is a good one, Jim. I would like that a lot. And I wouldn't ask for any time off from my appellate duties. I just would be happy to do that in addition. That's like me. I'd like to go back and uh, do a play-by-play of a game. Uh, I imagine it would sound just awful. It would be, <laughs> be fun to be in the action again. Well, there is just, that. Just for a short period of time. Sure. One game. Yeah, well, that's essentially what I'm looking for. <laughs> when you say it's uh, different, uh, how different is it? Just the overwhelming number. I see this on uh, television all the time. The overwhelming number of uh, people that are uh, are there that are incarcerated that are being uh, uh Represented by well, some some attorneys, uh, sometimes uh, others uh, uh, have stacks of uh, 
In other words, they have so many uh, people that uh, Brian Silverman used to talk about that. He said, oh, I've got, you know, 23 uh, cases going right like. Well, that's that's part of it. A big part. We have had uh, some new people join our court. Uh, uh, Craig DeArmond is a uh, new member of our court. He's a judge from Danville, and I was part of uh, trying to meet with Craig and talk about the differences and trying to get him uh, uh, figured out the acclimated to what we do on the appellate court. One of the big things I told him, and it's, it's, he's already discovered it, is as a trial judge, there's just you. On the appellate court, it's committee work. And that really does make a big difference. Uh, <clears throat> as a trial judge, you just make up your mind, listen to the attorneys, hear these arguments, decide a case, whatever. But in the appellate court, we circulate things back and forth and... Um, I've had, ex- as recently as this week, I've had the experience where sometimes committee work can go well. That is, I circulated a draft opinion on a case I worked on uh, to my two colleagues, who are selected at random, I should mention. There are seven of us in the appellate court, and the appellate clerk puts together a panel of three, which is how we decide cases, and at random designates who the author shall be. And uh, when the author comes up with a draft decision, as I did, we would circulate it to the other two panel members and see what they think. And sure enough, and I'm used to it, uh, one of them came back and said essentially, I agree, but I think in paragraph 21 <clears throat> we're saying something which is an overstatement and uh, I, I'd like to eliminate it. And I worked with him. I said, well, I, I think I understand your point. It's an excellent one. How about instead of eliminating that paragraph, because I think it's it's helpful, I just modified it in this fashion. And we went back and forth. He said, yeah, this latest modification would suit me. This is something that doesn't happen on the trial bench. Maybe I would have been better. I would have benefited if it happened on the trial bench. But uh, uh, it's just you. And those uh, cases, uh, I believe you have uh, told me before, are uh, assigned uh, in the uh, it's kind of a random, uh, you don't know what, what case you're going to get. Right. Uh, we don't know. And uh, what the clerk tries to do is to even out the workload, the total number of cases assigned for the seven of us over a period, the whole year period, and also try to even out uh, who sits with whom uh, as a panelist. So I'm not sure how she does it, but, you know, so mm. that uh, I'm not with judges A and B half the time and C, D, E, and F rarely uh it but it it seems to work out just fine and uh it's as i say it's a wonderful job one of the other things about it uh jim and people think i'm blowing smoke i'm not it's a lot easier job than being on the trial bench the trial bench has uh rigorous schedules you have to decide cases in certain fashion and move things along very quickly on the appellate court uh we have time to be more contemplative that's an important point because when I'm talking to my law clerks, uh, who are fresh out of law school often, uh, I suggest to them, don't be too critical necessarily of the trial judge, even if we are going to ultimately disagree with a particular ruling, let's say, that was made on uh, an objection, an evidentiary issue, because I can go back to my years as a trial judge, 12 and a half, where I remember it would go... Uh, question asked, objection, judge, it's improper foundation. And I'd have to quickly remember what's the question, what's the objection, what should the foundation <laughs> be? 
and, and I got to come up with a ruling. If I uh, clear my throat, I might buy a couple more nanoseconds. But the problem is, you got to come up with a ruling right now. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, on the appellate court, I can pour a cup of coffee, read the record, put my feet up, think about it, pull out an evidence book to On see. your own timetable, right? You I got mean, it. You can come, no in rush. There, come in there whenever. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's a lot easier to address these kinds of things. And uh, it's, uh, it's really a fun job and it's an exciting job because the decisions we come up with are precedent for judges at the trial level throughout the state. They're supposed to... Uh, uh, read, watch, and listen to, and uh, apply in their own courtrooms. All right, so that gives you some idea of uh, what uh, happens in the appellate uh, court. Let me give you these phone numbers uh, and uh, text numbers once again. We'll take a break and to come back and see what's on your mind. 351-5667. 351-5667. Understand we've just... Uh, Moved into these uh, studios. We'll be back to our old uh, numbers uh, very soon. But the text uh, line is the same, 351-5357. So questions or comments for Appellate Court Justice Robert Steigman after we take this first break. This is Penny for Your Thoughts. I'm Jim Turpin. My guest is Appellate Court Justice uh, Robert Steigman. Bob, I'd like to talk to you a little bit about the um, free speech aspect of the kneeling, sitting, linking arms, uh, all the things that the people in the NFL have been doing. And it's my understanding, and uh, Jim Dye and I talked about this a little bit the other day, or maybe it was even yesterday. Uh, this is a... Uh, I call it an owner-employee situation as opposed to uh, a uh, player-government situation. Isn't there a big distinction there? Is that the distinction? Yes, yes. I think you guys, uh, I listened to some of that the other day, and you guys are exactly right, and Jim has picked up on this. Uh, uh, <clears throat> the First Amendment is very important, and it's designed to protect uh, people from the government, uh, who has ultimately the men with the guns who are going to be enforcing rules. And uh, so that the government can't tell you what you can say or read or listen to and the like, but it has no application to um, private enterprise or private citizens. As a matter of fact, this morning in the Chicago Tribune, there was an interesting column by John Cass who pointed this out and said, imagine you went to your diner or just... We could be Marianne's Diner right around the corner here. And I went in there and uh, ordered uh, bacon and eggs. And your uh, waitress, Doris, said, uh, Hun, uh, how would you like your eggs cooked? And said, oh, easy over. And said, by the way, abortion is murder. And uh, <laughs> you should, um, we, we need to stop it in this country. But I'll have that order up. You know, and then someone else said, um, the uh, idea is, uh we shouldn't have the, the guy serving, says, uh, who ultimately brings it, the uh, affirmative action is improper and it's uh, race-based and uh, we shouldn't have that either. My guess is a lot of people would think, you know, well, how about just giving me my eggs and bacon and uh, or my hamburger for lunch? I don't want to listen to this. And John Cass, of course, in his Tribune column did it a lot better than I. The point being <clears throat> the... 
football field is the equivalent of the diner, and these guys are the equivalent of the employees working for them. Uh, and it's astonishing how there are so many people who, and of course I think it's a good thing, because I think more education about the first and is a good thing, but they don't understand, as important as it is, its limitations. It doesn't apply to private enterprise. Um, you uh, are working, just just like Doris at the diner uh, might feel strong that an abortion is bad, uh, she doesn't have a First Amendment right or any right to express these views to the customers as she's going about serving them. And uh, none of the people kneeling or whatever else they want to do have that right either. As a matter of fact, the NBA, I think, um, has had the rule for years. You're going to stand at attention, quiet, and all that. And uh, if you don't, we're going to find you. And I think they were years ago, the NBA, they fined some guy $30,000 a game, and uh, he stopped. Uh, and, and you know, you may not like Trump or his ass- assessment of all this, but he's, of course, exactly right that uh, the owners could stop it if they said, uh, if you kneel, if you don't stand at attention, that should be the rule, uh, during the playing of the national anthem, I'm going to fine you or uh, kick you off the team or take other actions of this kind. Uh, and... Um, I think if they were paying $30,000 a game, as much as they're earning millions, that would get their attention. But the point is, there is no First Amendment right to be doing that at that point. So here we are, uh, Ed Bond and I, uh, working for the uh, News Gazette uh, media and the radio stations. And this is an employee-employer relationship. And uh, we free speech would not uh, cover us if we decided to, uh, right here in the, the middle of the lobby, decide to go on some tirade about a, a uh, something that we felt very strongly about. Was Th- that's absolutely correct. And what's interesting is <clears throat> the New York Times apparently has is having some trouble with this concept, interestingly enough, because they are somehow speaking about the right of freedom of speech, etc., with regard to the NFL players and uh, how uh, this is something that should be protected. Yet last week, the New York Times executive editor set forth a bunch of ground rules regarding the New York Times employees, reporters, and everybody on what they can say and how they can say it with regard to social media. Now, <laughs> now call me crazy, but it strikes me as if you're going to, and, and by the way, that's, of course, one step removed. After all, social media is not directly connected to your workplace, whereas Doris, the waitress, is when she's serving you the eggs is, or we here in uh, the News Gazette building, or the NFL players, that's their job site. That's their laboratory. I used to say that when I was a uh, uh, trial lawyer or a judge. I mean, this is my workshop, the courtroom. Uh, the workshop for the NFL players is that football stadium. And that they can be told what to do and how to do it by their bosses, and they have no somehow First Amendment right otherwise. That Dean Beckett, who's the executive editor of the New York Times, within 48 hours of supporting the NFL and various columns and editorials, sent out this detailed listing about you better watch out what you're saying in social media if you're a New York Times reporter. Jerry Jones called it a uh, stage. He says, this is my stage. You are entertainers. And what that goes on in uh, 
on my stage as my business, and I can control that. Well, he's absolutely right. As a matter of fact, it, it reminds me of uh, the line I like to use. It's it's about employment. Uh, you know, you can hire and fire people, uh, and if they're at-will employees for any reason or no reason, there are some certain protected categories. You can't do it uh, based on discrimination for racial, ethnic, religious grounds to refuse to hire someone or uh, fire someone on that grounds. But if I were running a small business and I discovered Ed Bond walked in one day and he had a Michigan sweatshirt on, he's a Michigan football fan, I could fire him on the spot. Well, do it. Well, and, and you know, the point being, you can say, remember, if you can fire someone for any reason or no reason. Uh, if you're an at-will employee, that's how it works. And he could quit, by the way. He could say, I'm not going to work for you, Steigman. Uh, you know, you're this crazy Illinois fan, and uh, it's like a religious holiday for you when they play. This is a, an oppressive environment. I'm going to quit. You know, so be it. But, you know, the idea of rights being involved is just kind of crazy. Uh, there are the, You don't have a right to freedom of speech. And as a matter of fact, I've had this interesting conversation with some reporters. <clears throat> you know, we're in the News Gazette building. The paper has freedom of speech. The corporation has freedom of speech. But the people it hires as its reporters don't. That is, they work for the management. So if you are a columnist, uh, let's say, hired by a the News Gazette, and they decided they're going to take a position supporting Trump regarding X issue, and they say write a column on that, it's not as if you have a freedom of speech right to say, no, I'm not going to do it. You know, it doesn't work that way. It's They're the bosses. They have the freedom of speech. And uh, they can tell you what they want written. And if you can't or won't do it, fire you and get someone who would. We'll take a quick break here. We're at uh, 351-5667. I'm surprised. Uh, are the phones working? We hope they, that they are. We've had uh, just a little <laughs> trouble this morning. They've been kind of in and out. But again, this is a temporary number, but uh, write it down and uh, give us a call, 351-5667. You can text us on the, the same number we've had for quite some time, 351-5357, back after this break. We're back on Penny of Your Thoughts. I'm Jim Turpin. My guest is Appellate Court Justice Robert Steigman. We're going to take a quick break here for some news headlines with Michael Kaiser. We'll come back right after that and take your calls as well. Here's Michael. Thanks, Jim. Good morning. 47 degrees at the Radio Center, headed for a high of 72 today. We'll have more of Greg Solier's forecast coming up. Also going to be pretty windy today here in east-central Illinois. Well, just before he was to go on trial in Urbana, man instead admitted to hitting a state police squad car with his vehicle and left court with probation. 29-year-old Terhan Sims this week pleaded guilty to a charge of failure to report an accident involving an injury. He was sentenced to three years probation. Police say in June, Sims ran a stop sign at the intersection of Champaign and Bradley in Champaign. He struck a squad car, two parked cars, in the front porch of a home and then fled on foot. The state trooper driving the squad car was not seriously hurt. Well, the second time is the charm for Jonathan Westfield of Savoyas to be sworn in tonight as the next Parkland College board member. Westfield was a candidate for Parkland board last election before withdrawing. He's a former Champaign police officer and former Unit 4 school board member. Westfield replaces Rochelle Harden on the board. He will serve until April of 2019. 
A Lincoln College employee is the first Democratic candidate for Illinois' 101st House District. 32-year-old Jen McMillan of Decatur is running for office for the first time. She joins a field of three Republicans looking to replace fellow Republican Bill Mitchell, who is not running. The 101st District covers the western part of our listening area. Well, like other presidents, Donald Trump has made personal contact with some families of the fallen and not all. What's different is that Trump has picked a political fight over the matter. His boast, quote, I think I've called every family of someone who, di- who has died. AP finds that Trump has not, in fact, spoken with the families of all the war dead on his watch. And there's ample evidence that Presidents Barack Obama and George W. Bush pulled their weight in offering condolences. And Governor Bruce Rauner administration has made a large payment towards $16 billion pile of overdue bills. It's more borrowed money, but the Republican governor announced yesterday Illinois sold $1.5 billion in general obligation bonds at an interest rate of 3.5%. That's lower than the state pays in late charges on a hunk of debt. Good Democratic Comptroller Susanna Mendoza has urged Rauner to borrow the money and says it will save $2 million a day in late fees. News has been brought to you by First Mid Illinois Bank and Trust, providing financial solutions since 1865. Visit firstmid.com to find out more. We'll have Wall Street and Greg Solier's forecast coming up next. On Wall Street, Wall Street today so far in trading, the Dow is up 114 points. The Nasdaq is up just over a point, while the S&P 500 is up just over two points in trading today. Greg Solier's forecast for the rest of your Wednesday. Sunny skies, windy conditions, headed for a high of 72, mostly clear tonight, low of 48. Then tomorrow, partly cloudy skies, mild once again, headed for a high of 75. Right now, 53 degrees. Temperature just jumped up quite a bit. 53 at 934. I'm Michael Kaiser, DWS News. We're back on uh, Penny for Your Thoughts. I'm Jim Turpin. My guest is Appellate Court Justice uh, Robert Steigman. And once again, our temporary uh, phone number today is 3515667. And we do have a couple of callers uh, for Justice Steigman. Let's go first to Karen. Good morning, Karen. So I'm the first one to be able to call and congratulate you on your new environment. <laughs> you are indeed. Uh, I think we have a, a prize for you. It's a, uh, it's, a <laughs> it's a hug from uh, Ed Bond. Okay. Well, I just want to wish you uh, all the best and uh, hope you enjoy it in the best of health and uh, happiness and everything else. And I just hope it works out great for all of you. Um, and what what a perfect guest to have on the first day, uh, Justice Steigman. Um, I have a question regarding a very disturbing topic I saw on TV last night. Justice Steigman, did you happen to watch Sean Hannity last night? Only a short bit at the very beginning. Okay, so he has this, like, bombshell news story that um, these two reporters that he often works with have uncovered the degree of uh, corruption that Hillary Clinton used when she sold all that um, plutonium or uranium out to the Russian people, um, that there was actually uh, you know, almost a quid pro quo payment to the Clinton Foundation, millions and millions of dollars uh, for the sale of this nuclear material that was sold to Russia. And it's been talked about before, but they 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 kept referring to this CIPRA. CIPRA, they vote. Is it some committee that votes on the approval of these sorts of things? Or the, and I just wanted to ask if you know. Well, I I appreciate your interest and concern. I share it. I do not know. Uh, one of the reasons <coughs> I went back to the Cub game 
uh, at that point is because uh, because he loves agony. Well, that too. But uh, <clears throat> I I'm very interested in this. I'm skeptical about uh, how uh, this deal went down, and mm-hmm. uh, but it's still in such the early stages that I figure this is something which will be fleshed out. I have a lot of questions as well, and uh, I think it's. Frankly, very early. I, I, I perhaps would just leave it at saying I share your concerns and I hope that uh, we can get to the bottom of it. Certainly, uh, the Congress should be able um, to conduct hearings on all of this, if not the Justice Department. Well, one of the points that was being made all this time was that um, Mueller, Mueller, whatever his name is, was the director of the FBI and somehow part of this whole thing while Hillary Clinton was doing this. And was part of approving um, the sale, you know, and so the conflict of interest that he has in doing his investigation of, of Russian collusion, he actually apparently uh, was part of some sort of Russian collusion, um, you know. Well, that would be an excellent thing why I think uh, the uh, Senate and House committees, the congressional committees, should uh, ask about all this and ask him about it. And what I'd like to see... <coughs> that I don't see, and uh, it's very troubling, uh, is a greater sense of urgency by the Republican Congress in this and in so many other things of pushing for answers and hearings. I'm tired of three-day weeks by the Congress. I know these guys want to get home and uh, start campaigning. They never stop. uh, But I'm tired of their leaving Thursday morning and arriving Mm -hmm. Monday night, if that. Uh, I... uh, we have a lot on their agenda. There are lots of judicial nominations I'm following closely. I want to see the Senate work, believe it or not, four or five days a week so they can move this stuff along. I know it's a shocking concept, but uh, uh, I share your concerns, and I just want to see this moved more expeditiously. Uh, Karen, uh, thanks uh, very much for the call. We have uh, several callers uh, waiting. I'd uh, let talk to you longer, but uh, and especially uh, thanks for the uh, kind words on our first show in the new place. I appreciate it very much. Let's go to uh, J.D. now. J.D., do you have a question or a comment for uh, Justice Steigman? Hello? Yeah. Are you there? We hear you now. Go ahead, J.D. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Justice Steigman, would you help me to understand the Supreme Court ruling on the travel ban versus the federal judge in Hawaii, uh, I, I guess, overturning that? Uh, I, I'm not quite sure I understand it. Well, it's, it's very complicated. What happened is the travel ban was a temporary one uh, to begin with, and it was uh, uh, stayed and restricted by various lower courts, and it got up to the Supreme Court, and they essentially vacated almost all of the uh, limitations that were put upon it, uh, and they were going to have oral argument uh, on the matter this month, but what happened is uh, because it was uh, time limited to begin with, uh, they just vacated uh, their arguments and they let the matter go. <clears throat> now there's a new uh, limitation that has been imposed by a federal judge someplace, I don't know where, and my guess is um, This will now, because we're now in the early part of the Supreme Court's term. The Supreme Court's in session from the 1st of October to the 1st of July. 
So my guess is we will now get a definitive assessment and ruling ultimately by the Supreme Court. I would think that the um, Department of Justice will ask for this all to be expedited. Uh, the lower federal courts did not uh, do themselves much glory in uh, how they handled this, in my opinion. And apparently, in the opinion of the Supreme Court of the United States, uh, they came up with some very strange analyses <clears throat> and some strange rulings. And the Supreme Court pretty much rejected almost all of it. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how the Supreme Court handles this latest one, because I think the same is likely to result. <clears throat> okay, let's uh, go to the next uh, caller. That is uh, Stan. Uh, good morning, Stan. Good morning, guys. Good morning. Um, yes. Um, this I, I hate to talk about this football stuff because it's just a distraction by the party that doesn't want a government in this country. But justice, you've got it. Something you're you're putting out information that's incorrect. Uh, the players are not employees of the teams; they are independent contractors. And the proof of that is easy enough to come to, because the the players receive 1099s rather than W-2s. If they received, if they were employees of the teams, then every linebacker on the same team with the same number of years of service, would have to be paid the same amount. And that is clearly not the case. Well, Stan, let me be more clear. More than the other guy. Let, me, let me be more clear. Uh, <clears throat> my analysis isn't based on whether they're employees or not. My analysis is based on the fundamental concept that the First Amendment only applies to the government. It doesn't apply to any private enterprise of any kind. and doesn't apply whether you're an employee or an independent contractor. It just doesn't apply. The only way that you can uh, force an independent contractor to do something that they don't want to do is by getting rid of them. Well, it, and that may they, be the case. The, the teams are not going to get rid of their best players. That's a matter of employment law. My point is the First Amendment to the Constitution limits what the government may do concerning speech. It says nothing about private employment whether you're an employee, an independent contractor, or anything else. Well, okay, you uh, thank, you. Uh, thank you. Thank so you, uh, Stan. You corrected well, yourself. He, well, he, he just said it doesn't make any difference <laughs> whether they, uh, uh, they are or they aren't. Appreciate uh, your call. Uh, we need to take a break, Ed, or are we, uh, we okay? One more uh, quick break, or well, let's do that, and we come back. I want to talk about something that is uh, really in the news now, and that has to do with... Uh, this uh, so-called uh, bar, uh, bar bipartisan uh, deal uh, about uh, restoring the Obama subsidies that President Trump has uh, dumped uh, uh, last week. Uh, they've got a deal going that would keep the subsidies, uh, which is uh, you know paid to insurance companies to help keep premiums affordable for low-income Americans, uh, going for uh, two years, and so. Uh, I know that uh, Justice Stegman has uh, something he'd like to say about that, and we'll do that right after we take this break. If you have a call uh, or a question, 351-5667 is our temporary phone number. Thanks.
This is Penny for Your Thoughts. I'm Jim Turpin. My guest is Appellate Court Justice Robert Steigman. To the phones for Betty. Hello, Betty. Hello, Betty. Oh, can you hear me, please? Yes, I can. Go ahead. Okay. My question is, it has to do with money, but not the insurance things. Um, Okay, Illinois has been taking in money. They have not been paying their bills. But now, all of a sudden, they have to borrow money to pay bills? I don't understand that. Well, I don't either. Uh, One of the burdens of our lives, uh, being Illinois residents, is we are afflicted with a dysfunctional state that um, is running up bills and not paying them and uh, doing all kinds of other stuff and has for a long time. And uh, I am unable to explain how this is all working other than uh, it's kind of like borrowing money to pay off your credit card. I don't think that's a good policy, and that's essentially what we're doing. But on the other hand... No, uh, what we're doing is sending $10 a month to our credit card. That's even worse. <laughs> yeah, that's that, even that's worse. That's the way it builds it up. Yes, uh, and it's it's just awful. Uh, I... Um, I applaud, however, borrowing money, if that's what it takes, so that we can pay people who are owed um, money by the state. I I heard a story (coughs) of um, state agencies, heard several stories about state agencies, one appellate judge, as a matter of fact, who um, had their power cut off because the state wasn't paying power between you know, just basic stuff. It's it's just awful. Uh, we're the deadbeat state, and uh, borrowing money to at least pay some of those bills to keep us going might be necessary, but a better way to do it would be to get control of um, our fiscal situation, which we don't have. All right, let's go to uh, Sarah. Good morning, Sarah. Good morning. Good morning. What's um, on I'm your gonna, mind? I'm, I'm going to... Um, couch my question as a hypothetical. Um, so let's say I'm accused and arrested and charged with a capital offense and I, I hire an attorney, but I run out of money. And so I, my attorney um, has to be removed. I know that it, in capital offenses, you have to have a, a death penalty certified attorney in Illinois because of the previous problem. What What is the policy or the ethics of, say, my attorney is the only certified attorney, um, would they be assigned to me or would, would that be frowned upon and they'd want someone different to, to do that since my attorney would have asked to be removed? Okay, a lot of excellent questions in there. The first thing is <clears throat> we don't have a death penalty any longer in the state of Illinois, so we don't have a death penalty certified uh, trial bar, which we used to have because uh, we don't need it. Uh, there is still a death penalty in the federal system, and there's a fellow who, uh, Christensen, I think is his name, who was recently indicted uh, with regard to the, uh, he's charged with the kidnapping of the uh, missing Chinese scholar from campus and uh, causing her death in some fashion. I, I can't remember what exactly the indictment said which makes this a death penalty case. Now, I'm not sure how the feds handle this, but generally speaking, because I've been involved in death penalty cases in the past, I will tell you that the normal rules are um, different. Uh, So 
typically, for instance, uh, if someone is arrested and charged with burglary and an attorney enters his or her appearance, uh, when I was a trial judge in my courtroom, I made it clear that uh, be careful about entering an appearance because if uh, a material witness, Mr. Green, fails to show up, that was you know, my cute joke about how you're not being paid for all your services, uh, it won't matter. Uh, because you're in this case for uh, the duration, and uh, the, the the message to the lawyers was be careful before you enter an appearance. You understand that and get whatever payment you're going to get as private counsel. Death penalty cases, though, are different. Uh, in the federal level, I think there are some specialized people, because there aren't that many federal death penalty cases, there are some specialized people from Washington, D.C., I think, the Federal Defender's Office, which is like the public defender, who travel around the country providing expertise for people who are charged with capital offenses in uh, federal court, and that's where we are now. It's I don't know how I can explain it any way other than that, other than say death penalty cases are different, and uh, it's important. Another way to look at it is this. It, it's expensive, but if the state, being the federal government or state government, is going to seek to put someone to death, uh, we want to make sure there are no mistakes. We want to make sure that uh, this person has been vigorously defended and that the um, evidence is... Uh, uh, proof beyond a reasonable doubt, and there were no evidentiary errors, etc. We have seen far too many cases. I have personally seen far too many cases where litigation about the death penalty in the appellate stage lasts for years and sometimes decades because of uncertainties about what happened. If we're, the bottom line is this: if we're going to have a death penalty, it must be paid for by hiring the best qualified people to make sure a death penalty, if it's imposed, is properly imposed. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, thank you, Sarah. <clears throat> we appreciate it. Robert, uh, I don't know how long uh, you need to uh, to talk about uh, this, but let's uh, start on it anyway. Okay. It has to do with the. Uh, the subsidies that uh, was in the original Obamacare yeah. uh, bill and uh, that uh, President Trump uh, dumped them uh, last week, and now they're fighting over whether to get them back or whatever. Uh, take it from uh, wherever you'd like and let me uh, put explain it, in, it. Let me put it in context, Jim. Okay. The, President Trump has talked a lot about the wall. He wants to build the wall. Right. He's talked about that in his campaign, and he keeps on talking about it now. Let's assume for the moment that – he is unable to get funding through Congress for this wall. Uh, and that's probably a good bet because I don't know how many Republicans are going to support it and all the Democrats will be opposed. The Republicans have a majority, but not much. So he fails to do this. And then he announces to the public, this is a matter of urgent necessity. Uh, we need to have a wall on our southern border as a matter of uh, defense, as a matter of uh, protecting our nation. So I'm directing the Treasury Department to cut checks, to just issue payments, and I'm directing uh, Homeland Security to build it and uh, to tell the Treasury Department to pay for it, even in the absence of an appropriation by Congress, because I think this is within my authority as president. Pausing right there, what do you suppose the reaction might be? Uh, I don't think it would be favorably received by uh, 
the Democrats in Congress, or probably even Republicans. I don't think it would be favorably received by the media. But what's interesting, and the reason I cite it this way, is because the subsidies at issue here uh, have been discussed a lot on policy grounds. I don't want to discuss them on policy grounds. I'm really not qualified to do that, and I will concede maybe there's a good reason as a matter of policy to subsidize insurance companies so they can put poor people on these uh, uh, medical programs that that might be and pay for it and provide medical coverage. Let's assume for the moment that's a good policy. Does that mean that the necessity to have Congress appropriate the funds for some subsidy can be overlooked? And the answer is no. So the point being, President Obama uh, asked for, originally, when Obamacare passed, for these subsidies in an appropriation bill, and Congress wouldn't give it to him. So he directed the Department of the Treasury to just pay these subsidies, billions of dollars, to these insurance companies. Now, uh, what happened is, the Republicans, John Boehner, Speaker of the House, <clears throat> filed suit saying, you can't do this. This is improper. And uh, there's this question of standing, who is standing really to challenge this. And finally, they got a federal judge said, no, I think the Republicans have standing to do this. And w- what is interesting is the um, federal judge agreed and said, you can't do this. <clears throat> Uh, Judge Rosemary Collier asserted last year in decision that uh, the Obama administration had no explicit authority to pay over this $130 billion. And uh, she uh, said, entered an injunction saying, you have to stop making these payments. That's the federal judge who looked at this. And that's where we are at the moment. What's interesting is, for instance, there was a big a front-page story in the Tribune Sunday by uh, Lisa Schenker talking about this uh, end of subsidies, and it went on for several pages. Nowhere, nowhere in the story is there any reference to the fact of, you know, this is lawful. There's no authority for these subsidies in the first place. So when Trump said he's cutting it out, that means I'm stopping it because it's not legal. Get on that again uh, more in the uh, second hour if we need to. Uh, CBS News coming up. We'll be back after that. CBS News, I'm Peter King. Judges in Hawaii and Maryland have blocked the latest Trump administration travel ban for the same reasons as before saying a person's nationality doesn't make him or her a security risk to the U.S. The ban was supposed to start today. Testifying before the Senate Judiciary Committee, Attorney General Jeff Sessions says he'll keep defending it. The president's executive order is an important step to ensuring that we know who is coming into our country. It's a lawful, necessary order that we are proud to defend. President Trump tweets that a South Florida Democrat fabricated her account of his call to a Green Beret widow and can prove it. Democrat Frederica Wilson says Mr. Trump told the woman, I guess he knew what he was getting into and didn't even know her husband's name. Wilson appearing on CNN. I have proof, too. This man is a sick man. 
Uh, he's cold-hearted, and he feels no pity or sympathy for anyone. CBS News military analyst Jeff McCausland. Everybody needs to take a step back and seek an opportunity to be consoling and show sympathy to these families, but not politicize these things. These are private conversations and, and certainly have no place on the TV news and no place certainly in Twitter wars between presidents and congresswomen. Tennessee Republican Senator Lamar Alexander doesn't seem to be upset about the president's apparent reservations about a bipartisan health care plan. I understand the fact that a president, whether any president, would want to review it, maybe try to add something to it, and make it a part of a larger negotiation before it's done. Alexander and Washington Democrat Patty Murray say their plan includes restoring subsidies that help lower-income Americans. Mr. Trump initially praised the idea, but appears to reverse himself after a speech to conservatives last night. Police say several people have been hurt after a shooting at an office park in Edgewood, Maryland, that's northeast of Baltimore. This man works at the Emerton Business Park. We start seeing all the police show up and stuff like that, and they're running down with uh, you know rifles in their hands, stuff like that, saying, get back in the building, an active shooter. And law enforcement is asking people to stay away from that office park area. Canadian rock legend Gord Downey has died after a long battle with cancer. It's been a long, long time coming. Downey was the lead singer of Tragically Hip, and he sang about small towns, hockey, and other subjects that ring true for Canada. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau tweets, There will never be another one like you, Gord. Rest in peace, my friend. Gord Downey was 53. The Los Angeles Dodgers can clinch the National League pennant with a win over the Cubs tonight in Chicago. L.A. leads the series three games to none and is hoping to go to its first World Series since 1988. The American League Series is tied at two as the Yankees host the Astros in New York. Yesterday's trading saw the Dow hit the 23,000 mark for the first time and flirt with it for much of the day. The Dow is well above 23,000 now, up 133. This is CBS News. If you still not refinance your mortgage, well, soon you may be kicking yourself in the head. Hi, I'm Wesley Hilton with Westland Financial. And interest rates have gone up recently and will continue to rise, but they're still at historical lows. So don't delay. Let us lower your monthly payment, consolidate a first and second, pay off other debt, or drop you into a 15-year loan with no closing costs. That's right. Nothing's rolled into your loan. We'll pay for your appraisal, title, underwriting, settlement fee, everything. Do not miss out on this historic opportunity. Whether it's a purchase or refinance, you'll pay no closing costs. You won't spend a dime. Think about it. All it takes is a five-minute phone call to find out how we can save you hundreds or even thousands of dollars a year. And by the way, Westland Financial now is proud to offer reverse mortgages for our clients over 62. So call us at 888-455-3669. That's 888-455-3669. It's the biggest no-brainer in the history of mankind. Call us at 888-455-3669. That's 888-455-3669. NMLS number 3304. Not all loans apply. Equal housing lender. Good morning. We're at 56 degrees at 10.04. I'm Michael Kaiser, DWS News. Headed for I have 72 today. Sunny skies, breezy conditions. Winds could get above 20 miles per hour and gust as well. We'll have uh, Greg Solier's complete forecast coming up here in just a few moments. 
Well, authorities have released more details in the case of a champagne man accused of holding his ex-girlfriend and kids at knife point. 22-year-old Curtis Dion Morris was charged this week with home invasion and aggravated kidnapping. A sheriff's office report says last month Morris forced his ex and two toddlers out of a home on Kingsway at knife point and threatened to kill the woman. The woman was able to make her way back home, lock the door, and call police. Morris was also wanted for questioning about an arson fire at the same location but was not charged. Well, the Danville School Board next week is expected to take up a recommendation to name the district's administration building after its first black superintendent. A school board committee last night okayed a request from residents to name the building after Dr. David Fields. The full board will consider the plan on October 25th. Fields retired in 2001 after a 41-year career with the Danville School District the last 10 years as superintendent. He later served on the Illinois State Board of Education. Sticking in Vermilion County, Danville City Council members spent more than two hours last night discussing how to pay off a pension debt. Mayor Scott Eisenhower last week proposed adjustments in property taxes and the police and fire pension fee in order to pay off the $105 million debt over 20 years. Alderman Dan Dungeon thinks the mayor's proposal needs to be adjusted. Part of the discussion last night focused on possibly raising the city's real estate tax rate from $2.04 per $100 of equalized assessed value to $2.26. There would also be an adjustment in the police and fire pension fee with some people paying more while others would pay less. Mayor Scott Eisenhower thinks this is a fair one. Discussions on the pension debt and the city's proposed new budget and tax levy will resume next Tuesday when a city council committee meets. Well, Illinois has borrowed $6 billion more in debt in an attempt to lower late payment penalties on a portion of the nearly $16 billion in unpaid bills accrued from the two-year budget stalemate. Cole Lauterbach has that story. And finally, the Chicago Department of Aviation has fired two security officers who were involved, involved in an incident when a passenger was dragged off a United Airlines flight after refusing to give up his seat. Officials say none of those officers, a sergeant, says one of those officers, a sergeant, was also part of an attempt to cover up some details of the incident that happened in April at Chicago's O'Hare International Airport. Four officers were involved in the incident related to passenger David Dow, who had been aboard a flight to Louisville, Kentucky. The department suspended the two other officers. 
Well, Greg Solier's forecast for the rest of your Wednesday, sunny skies, breezy conditions, headed for a high of 72. Tonight, mostly clear skies, low of 48. And then tomorrow, partly cloudy skies, headed for a high of 75. Fair skies tomorrow night, low of 49. Then on Friday, mostly sunny, unseasonally mild, high of 77. Normal high for the state, 64 degrees. It's going to be above normal for the rest of the week. More of a penny of your thoughts with Jim Turpin coming up next here on DWS. Welcome back to our number two of A Penny for Your Thoughts. I'm Jim Turpin. My guest this morning is Appellate Court Justice Robert Steigman. Reminder that uh, today we have a temporary phone number. Don't know how long we will have this, but I want to make sure that you know it. 351-5667. 351-5667. If we could just get Ed Bond to do something, he would uh, figure out the how, some way to get our old phone number back. But he's so wrapped up in, uh, I don't know what he's wrapped up in, but he's, uh, uh, boy, they, Ed, and I can't tell you how many other people have been working on uh, these uh, studios, and it's not easy moving three radio stations to a different location, I can tell you that. They're doing a terrific a job. Uh, and then uh, you can uh, text us at uh, the Castle Heating and the Cooling text line at 351 Justice uh, Robert uh, Steigman, we're talking during the break there about the DACA. What uh, What do you have to say about that? Well, this that, is a something that that's I, another, that's I don't another. even know what to ask you about it. It's so mixed up. Well, DACA refers to dreamers, but if I may, I, I, I want to come back uh, just for a short moment to, we just talked about the First Amendment at some length, and uh, uh, I mentioned briefly about uh, what President Trump is doing with regard to the business of um, the subsidies, and uh, I think the federal judge was right that uh, just as the President Trump can't uh, order the wall being built, mm -hmm. uh, and and by the way, I just happen to have my handy dandy like Mike McCuskey copy of the Constitution. This is what it says: No money shall be drawn from the Treasury, but in consequence of appropriations made by law. You got to have a special appropriations bill to do it. <clears throat> but um, I don't want to seem like I'm uh, unwilling to ever criticize President Trump when he's deserving of some. And, you know, I'm a big First Amendment supporter. I've said it's the crown jewel of our Constitution. And <clears throat> uh, I'm critical of President Trump's recent remarks where he started musing about, well, you know, this fake news and everything, we ought to have their license Licenses looked into maybe by the FCC or has some regulation imposed upon it and all that, and uh, <clears throat> it's just wrong. Uh, he shouldn't be saying that. Uh, but here's the difference. This is a matter of bluster. Uh, like a lot of people, I'm not a fan of his bluster or his tweetings, uh, but I'm more concerned about, as opposed to what he's saying, what he's doing. And um, 
the good news is he's appointed some wonderful people, nominated some wonderful people to the bench, including Neil Gorsuch, and uh, several are, have already taken office and there are several are still online. And the good news is they do not share this sentiment of President Trump, uh, uh, that uh, this is a matter of his bluster and his frustration and why he's not a lawyer. And sometimes uh, his mouth gets ahead of his head when he's criticizing things uh, like uh, the, the press or uh, the media. He shouldn't be doing it, but uh, he's in fact appointed some wonderful people. And here's an example. You know, you and I have talked for a long time about judges and what they do and <clears throat> how um, they have to have a sense of restraint. And here's a, from a recent speech by Justice Neil Gorsuch, uh, Trump's appointee to the U.S. Supreme Court. He offered some important words of wisdom for the rest of the judiciary. This is what he said. Judges should wear robes, not capes. Isn't that a wonderful line? That is. Uh, and that's how he acts as a judge. And, uh, you know, I've talked about judges as kings. And uh, some of these lower federal courts somehow think they're part of the legal resistance to President Trump. They don't like them. I can tell you as a long-serving judge now, this is my 41st year, uh, the question isn't do we like the chief executive or do we like the people passing the laws or do we like the laws? Those are not issues for us at all. And uh, you're supposed to rise above it. I've dealt with lots of laws uh, that I had to interpret and apply that were passed under the tutelage of Rod Blagojevich as governor and pushed by Mike Madigan as Speaker of the House. Assuming for the moment that they're not my two favorite civic leaders, should that affect my judgment? Of course not. It shouldn't be a part, part of it at all. That's not how judges are supposed to work. And uh, I just wanted to mention that um, I don't like Trump's bluster in the First Amendment, but uh, the good news is that's not what's shared by his um, judicial nominees. DACA is Deferred Action for Childhood Admittees, uh, the Dreamers. And this is now, again, as a matter of fact, a lot of people say this is... How can you uh, change the policy here? And, and this is a bad thing to do. And the problem is, <clears throat> just as I said for a moment with regard to insurance subsidies, I want to set aside policy questions because people of goodwill and good faith and reasonably intelligent can differ about all of this. Should children who were brought here four years old uh, by parents who are legal aliens by the way, don't blanch. I still use the term illegal aliens. I'm not part of the George Orwell school of euphemisms that you can't see what's true. Anyway, they were brought here by their legal alien parents at four years old. Now they're 18. How should they be treated? Well, you know, maybe we ought to have some special uh, way to do it. The problem is the law says that they're legal aliens and they ought to be deported. Uh, and Barack Obama came up with this deferred action for children admittees or admissions. And uh, he did that only after having been president for several years when he was asked to do this by several different groups. And he was speaking to various Latino and Hispanic groups. And this is what he said 27 times. Now, <laughs> pausing before I tell you what he said, got to remember, who is Barack Obama? As opposed to Donald Trump, who's a real estate mogul and made build buildings, Barack Obama 
was a constitutional law lecturer. He was never a professor on the U of C Law School, but he was a lecturer there on, wait for it, constitutional law. So he said 27 times, as president, I don't have the authority to do that, to do what you're asking. And then one day, I think it was in his sixth year of his presidency, he woke up and said, I have the constitutional authority to do this, and he did it. Now, I'm a little troubled by this. Uh, you know, uh, the law, the, I, I woke up that same morning and the Constitution hadn't changed. It's still there. And this constitutional authority, Barack Obama said, I don't have the authority to do it. By the way, <clears throat> speaking about the national media, it may have happened, but I missed it. Any of these national talking head types say, President Obama, what changed? What happened? You said for years in front of Latino audiences, you don't have the authority to do this. And this morning you decided you do. Will you explain that? I literally don't recall it ever being asked or answered. So we're still in that circumstance. But whether or not the Dreamer proposal is a sound one, it's got to be remembered that's no constitutional authority for a president to simply disregard the immigration law that Congress had passed. You mentioned uh, Gorsuch, uh, and uh, we should uh, wear robes and uh, not, t- not capes. capes. I, I, that I, li- I like that, but I wonder if uh, he, like uh, you and uh, McCuskey and others, uh, would be willing to uh, throw off the uh, the robe and uh, come down uh, with the rest of us and uh, talk to us on a regular basis on the media. It seemed like... Uh, but the people that the Supreme Court just don't do that, do they? No, they don't. Uh, they do on occasion. They give lectures. Uh, well, Scalia speak. was out all the time, wasn't yeah. he? Yeah, <clears throat> he, he was. Uh, mm-hmm. it, but, but as a matter of fact, to show you the problem, Gorsuch this summer spoke in Washington, I forget before the group that was meeting, and they asked him to speak, and Supreme Court justices do do that. So he was slammed by the media. Do you know why? Because he was speaking at a... Trump Hotel, a hotel which this, <laughs> this I think in Washington, D.C., that this organization had rented, and he was slammed by the leftist media's, see, that's the connection to Trump. He's not independent, he's his toady, because he spoke at this convention. I mean, that shows you the craziness of these folks. Let's go to the uh, phones for Joe. Good morning. Uh, Justice, I'm curious your opinion on something. Uh, Last week, week before, actually for the last months, there's been news has been awash with all these Russian investigations on Russian interference in our election. Do you suppose we're ever going to see an investigation into Barack Obama's interference in the Israeli election, where he spent between three and five hundred thousand dollars of American taxpayer money to try to unseat Benjamin Netanyahu? No. Would it be appropriate? I suspect so. Uh, I'd like to see more into it, but uh, uh, I don't see uh, anyone pursuing it. And so your question is, do I expect to see it? No, I don't. Thank you. Okay, Joe, thank you. I want to remind you folks of this. uh, This is in the large estate uh, tag sale coming up on uh, Saturday. It's uh, from 10 o'clock in the morning until uh, 4 in the afternoon. This is uh, the Guy Little Jr. estate. 
at the little house on the prairie down in uh, Sullivan at 1700 South Patterson uh, Road. I think uh, most people know who Godner was uh, with regard to uh, all the good things he did there, bringing stars in and having shows for a number of years at the little theater. Well, he also had a place called the Little House on the Prairie. It was a bed and breakfast and a beautiful place. I had the pleasure of uh, touring it at one time. Did not uh, stay overnight there, but it's a wonderful, wonderful place. And you cannot believe the antique furniture that is there, uh, miscellaneous antiques, uh, collectibles, where they've got pictures and books and other miscellaneous items. And this is the Norm Willoughby auction, uh, folks, putting this on. And just I uh, want to give you the times once again because it uh, will be on Saturday and on Sunday, too, if necessary. So on Saturday, the time is 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. I assume that means that if they, they aren't uh, finished by Sunday, they haven't uh, sold everything or had, uh, had the, everything asked for, that they will go from 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. on Sunday. This is the Guy Little Jr. Estate Sale at the Little House on the Prairie. It's at 1700 South Patterson Road in uh, Sullivan. We've got about five minutes before the news, Bob, and we'll get on another topic after the news. But I, Can I follow up on just what I mentioned about DACA to make it even more clear, Jim? <laughs> well, of okay. course. Okay. Here's, you know, for years, actually— and, and when I remember years ago talking about this on this show, I was trying to make clear how uh, the limitations on presidential power, and people didn't seem to understand it. Uh, there are maybe 13,000 dreamers in this country, I think. I'm not sure what the record is uh, for or the number that uh, this might apply to. And President Obama and his supporters claimed that uh, we could take this action because we're this is within our prosecutorial discretion. You see, that's why it's called deferred action. So uh, the president, who's in charge of the executive branch of government, could tell uh, the prosecutors and uh, ICE and Homeland Security, don't go after these people and say, that's, that's within my prosecutorial discretion. Imagine this. And I've, I've raised this point, and it's conceivable again. Uh, President Trump says, we are just not getting, Congress is just stopping everything, obstructionists, and we, we need to to give a boost to the economy. So therefore, I'm uh, directing the IRS and the FBI and the Department of Justice, I'm eliminating the capital gains tax uh, for the next two years. You don't have to report any capital gains. Uh, there's going to be no tax on it. And I'm directing the IRS and the Department of Justice to just ignore it. We, we, we are deferring any prosecution or civil remedies to be taken. If you have capital gains and you don't declare it, you're just going to, there'll be essentially free income because this is really an important thing and Congress isn't helping out. So that's what it's going to be. That's essentially the same sort of action. This is because, after all, he is the prosecutorial discretion. Well, that's not really what it's supposed to be. But five years ago, I remember mentioning this, I think it was five years ago, on this show, that this is the same equivalent, and maybe Donald Trump is the guy who says, oh, I can't get a tax bill through Congress? Well, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to do it unilaterally too bad. 
Our phone numbers here are 3515667. That is a temporary phone number, 3515667. But the Castle Heating and the Cooling text line is the same, 3515357. We'll take a break. We're coming right back. We're back with the Public Court Justice Robert Steigman, the uh, news uh, from uh, Michael uh, Steigman, Michael Steigman, and uh, <laughs> Michael Kaiser. We got uh, all kinds of Michaels here today. I'm thinking of uh, the uh, payback. Uh, if I can call uh, uh, Bob uh, yesterday on my final show. The very final one in there, he says, here's Brian Barnhart. Can yes. you believe a guy would do yeah, something I don't like know. that? I, and I heard it, too. Yeah, everybody I, heard it. Everybody's <laughs> been talking to me. I just called him Tim Dittman. Well, that's because your name tag was not clear. <laughs> that's all. No, he's doing, uh, doing a wonderful job. You got a little of news headlines for us? Yeah, and uh, I just, you, just, you should get even. I've done it twice now. <laughs> And uh, I, I'm full of excuses, but uh, I'll, I'll get it right eventually. Well, I, I've only been working with you for no, almost nine and a half years now. You think I might figure it out? <laughs> <laughs> well, you see, you, when you uh, when you get a a precious little uh, baby in uh, your life, things mm. change. Yeah, precious uh, she is. Uh, she's how old is she now? Eleven weeks old uh, this past Monday, so eleven weeks and two days. Wow. She's growing every day. She's uh, just smiling more, and she's making more noises. You know how babies you know, they start well, your, your brain will become unscrambled after a while, <laughs> let me assure you. Yeah, and she sleeps a lot at night, so I can't really use the tired excuse. She only usually wakes up once at night, although sometimes quite a bit recently she's been sleeping all night. So, like, I'm not really that tired, although I was up at, you know, 4 o'clock this morning, but uh, the other day I had no excuse. So, Just kidding. Yep. We're having a lot of fun here. Oh, sure. Okay, news headlines. Thanks, Jim. 56 degrees at, at the Radio Center at 1031 on our way to a high of 72 today. We'll have Greg Solier's complete forecast coming up. Pretty windy conditions expected today as well. Well, details are scarce, but it appears that the case of a former Illini soccer player who sued over concussions could be headed toward a settlement. Casey Conine alleged in the civil suit against the U of I and others that her brain injuries were not properly treated. Online court records show that as of yesterday, all pending claims have been resolved and all future court dates have been canceled. Conine's attorney and a U of I spokesman could not yet be reached for comment on the details of what is happening with that case. The U of I previously dished out three six-figure payouts related to athletic scandals. And in Lincoln College employees, the first Democratic candidate for Illinois' 101st House District, 32-year-old Jen McMillan of Decatur, is running for office for the first time. She joins a field of three Republicans looking to replace fellow Republican Bill Mitchell, who is not running. The 101st District covers the western part of our listening area. Chicago has officially thrown its hat in the ring with a bid for Amazon, Amazon's massive second headquarters, adding its pitch to the stiff competition from cities, talking about their talent pool, quality of life, and cultural amenities. The city's bid was officially submitted this week. While some cities have tried to play up their hipness, Chicago has played it straight by boasting about its qualified workforce. 
And Attorney General Jeff Sessions is defending the Trump administration's travel ban as an important tool in fighting terrorism. In an opening statement for the Senate Judiciary Committee, Sessions says, quote, the order is lawful, necessary, and we are proud to defend it. News has been brought to you by F.E. Moran Security Solutions, protecting what matters most to you. Let's take a look at Wall Street. So far in early trading today, the Dow off to a great start, up nearly 139 points. The Nasdaq down just a small just a small amount, just more than a point so far, while the S&P 500 is up just over a point, and the Dow is now above 23,000 here so far today. We'll see what happens to the rest of trading throughout this Wednesday. Greg Solier's forecast, sunny skies, winds can be 12 to 24 miles per hour and gusty, headed for a high of 72, mostly clear skies tonight, low of 48, then tomorrow partly cloudy, headed for a high of 75. Right now, 56 degrees at 1033. I'm Michael Kaiser, DWS News. We're back on the Penny for Your Thoughts. I'm Jim Turpin with Appellate Court Justice Robert Steigman. 3515667 is our phone number. And you can text us at 3515357. Wanted to get into uh, free speech on uh, the campus and those kind of things in just a moment. But let me see if I have this pattern right, Bob. A mass shooting followed by public outrage, followed by a lot of talking in Congress. And then nothing until the next mass shooting. Is there anything that can be done and what, what should be done if, if there is a, something that uh, could fix these problems? It seems to me that we, we've got a, a certain percentage of uh, people in our, in our lives, in our, uh, in our country, that are just crazy or they're mentally uh, they have uh, mental problems, and uh, this is going to continue to happen. Well, I think that's right, and uh, the idea about we have to do something about guns makes no sense as far as I'm concerned. Uh, it is, uh, 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 I prefer to view it charitably as a measure of frustration with people that uh, bad things happen and what are we going to do about it. Um, uh, bump stocks is something that I learned about, and uh, turning a gun into an automatic uh, weapon, maybe that would be a good thing to uh, eliminate. But, uh, you know, uh, <clears throat> the most recent deaths uh, from uh, terrorist attacks, and viewing this as, I don't know, who knows what this was, this this guy, uh, have been uh, not from weapons, but from automobiles. I, it was, for instance, we had 50-some people killed in Las Vegas. We had 90-some killed a year ago in Nice and. uh the French Independence Day when a guy driving a big truck drove into a crowd and killed these people. And it's killed over 90 and injured dozens more than that. Uh, the same thing could happen, you know, I was at a football game just a week ago. and uh, No, as, you weren't. As you're emptying out the crowd, <laughs> that was unpleasant. But as the crowd is emptying out, I mean, we're literally packed in there. Some yes, guy driving a big truck. Uh, could kill us, uh, could kill large numbers of people, running them down. So what do we need, truck control? Is that the next step? Mm -hmm. Are we going to, you know, the, the notion that we're going to ban the instrument somehow, it's always struck me as silly. Um, uh, John Cass, again, has written about this in the Tribune. There are 
lots more guns per capita in downstate Illinois than there are in Chicago, than there are in the west and south side of Chicago where all these killings are taking place. Uh, there are lots more. In Pike County, Illinois, for instance, where Pittsfield and Barrie are a couple of the big, quote, cities, unquote, uh, I think there are lots more guns per capita there than in, maybe anywhere else in the whole world. And they have no gun crime. Now, how does that happen, Jim? Maybe it, there's something to do about who's holding the gun and why this person shoots. As a matter of fact, what I'd like to see, and I, I've mentioned this before, we have all of these sociologist folks who are here and uh, conducting studies that I think are of dubious merit. How about going into the prisons where people have been convicted of these gun crimes? A lot of them have from Chicago. I mean, when you got hundreds of deaths every year, a few of these people are being caught and convicted. And going into these prisons and asking these people, why did you shoot them? Why, why, what is your sense on why you got dissed? So now you're going to think it's appropriate to pull out a gun and shoot this guy. Uh, I'm suggesting these are serious cultural matters. Why is it there's no gun crime in Pike County, Illinois, and we have hundreds of deaths uh, in Chicago and killings every weekend? Uh, that's where things ought to be addressed. If guns were the problem, they'd be a problem in Pike County, Illinois as well, but they're not. Even the size of the gun or the number of uh, bullets that can be shot from a gun? Doesn't make any difference. As a matter of fact, the supposed thing, the real dangerous ones, and what I, I'd be willing to wager there are more of those in Pike County, Illinois, per capita than anywhere else. I mean, I've been out there. They have gun collectors. This is collections and programs and whatnot. Uh, Barry is kind of the gun capital of the whole state, and uh, it makes no difference. They're just, you know, it's the old story. Uh, guns cause murder like matches cause arson. No, they don't. It's the people who decide they're going to take a match and light something up and burn it down. The gun's just an inanimate object. It's in the hand of the person. Roger, 3-5, uh, uh, almost gave the uh, the old phone number, 351-5667. Just a few more minutes uh, if you have any questions or uh, comments for Appellate Court Justice Robert Steigman, let us know. Or send us a text at 351 The last point on that I'd like to make is this notion, and I keep hearing it about how the only reason Congress doesn't do this is because of the NRA money. That's, that's just not true. Uh, the NRA ha- is, a, is a big voice, but it's a big voice because people don't want gun control. They don't want their guns confiscated, which is what a lot of other people are mentioning. As a matter of fact, as I um, have some statistics about it. Uh, these people insist that the NRA is a stranglehold of the Republican Party and the Congress does whatever it wants. And the claim is because the NRA has bought Republicans, quote, with blood money. But he, here's here's the, the figure. Over 20 years, the NRA has contributed $3.5 million to politicians. That's chump change. Uh, in 2016 alone, the legal profession contributed $207 million to politicians, 70 times the amount that the NRA. And uh, in 2016 alone, Tom Steyer, who's a global warming activist, gave $90 million all to Democrats. 
And the food and beverage company uh, industry has contributed $14 million in lobbying in 2017 alone. So the $3.5 million is a reflection of what people already are thinking. That is, if you are a congressional representative from central Illinois, you better not be uh, sympathetic to Rahm Emanuel's thinking about we got too many guns and that's the problem because your voters aren't going to like it. Here's a uh, news uh, story just uh, in. Uh, House Speaker uh, Paul Ryan opposes the uh, short-term Obamacare fix that is being proposed in the Senate. So here we go again. I want to talk to you about uh, free speech on the campus. Uh, Jim Dye wrote a uh, terrific uh, column about that the other day, and uh, not only about this campus, but uh, all campuses. Uh, what, what do you make of all that? What is uh, the problems? Uh, why can't we just have uh, anybody that uh, the campus uh, wishes to bring uh, come here without uh, quibbling about it? Uh, well, the, the supposed prob- to be a, supposed to be a place, isn't it, for... Uh, an exchange of ideas on the campus? You would think so, but some ideas are just too bad. Uh, they just are evil, apparently, and they can't be uh, uttered. And Depends on whether I like it or not. Well, I think that's it. And it's it's uh, shocking. Um, Jim Dye's column uh, from uh, last Sunday was really one of his best. And uh, he's got it exactly right, free speech. It's not a hard concept. Uh, as he mentions in his column, let everyone speak. Let people decide on their own whether to listen or not to listen. Provide security if necessary to ensure the rules of decorum are followed. Impose disciplinary measures against those who would try to silence a speaker or take over a meeting where a lecture is being presented. Now, this all makes such sense uh, that you wonder what's the problem. Yet uh, President Colleen and Chancellor Robert Jones uh, are writhing in agony seemingly over what do we do about free speech? Well, that's the answer, and you, or you can follow the guidance, as Jim points out, of Purdue and the University of Chicago and a few other campuses that says uh, our forums are going to be our campus is going to be forums for free speech. As a matter of fact, the University of Chicago, bless their hearts, sent out a notice to incoming students saying, you know, dear Snowflake, if uh, you think uh, you're going to be troubled and need a safe space if you hear speakers that you don't agree with, don't come here, because. That's not what we're about. We're not here to provide you with safe spaces. Shockingly, uh, there are people who just don't understand this concept, and you wonder how did they get to the position they are. Here's a story from yesterday about the University of Florida President Ken Fuchs, who said, quote, he was surprised and even shocked to learn that the University of Florida State School is required by law to allow an allegedly alt-right speaker to speak on campus. Even more shocking, here are some remarks from a U of F, uh, University of Florida law professor, Kenneth Nunn. He declared that he doesn't think there's any such thing as free speech, says the law professor, that words can and do hurt, and that the University of Florida should take action to confront hate speech beyond merely pr- promoting a marketplace of ideas. When asked to define hate speech, of course, he had serious difficulty other than you, I think, touched on it, Jim. It's speech I don't like, you know. And But this is what he said, and, and this is shocking. People become depressed. People use drugs. People have damage to their self-image. There's per- this is from listening to speech you don't like. There's poor performance in school, poor performance in work. People get high blood pressure. 
People suffer from stress. And so we have some significant harms that come from the use of speech, particularly speech when you talk about people and you say hurtful and hateful things as a consequence of it. So speech hurts. You remember the old sticks and stones business when we were kids? That's so yesterday, I guess, right? Don't uh, listen to it. Uh, go away. Do something else. Yes. Well, no, I, I, I need a safe space, and I need uh, maybe my teddy bear from home. Maybe, or, made uh, me feel uncomfortable uh, yeah. just to be in the presence of that person. Yeah, really. Uh, anyway, I thought this was an appropriate description of, if you looked in the dictionary, campus snowflake, there it is. Um, you can't. Somehow I'm, I'm, see, the wizard are trying to say, this is a physical pain. This is like violence against me when this guy speaks. This nonsense, Jim, has a real foothold among, you know, I don't want to be too political about it, but it's really true, leftists on campus. I don't know any conservative. I've never, I literally have never heard of a conservative who thinks this way. Uh, and if there is someone out there, I you know, let me know about it. But this is this is the kind of nonsense that the leftists on campus are worried about. My hope is that Colleen and Chancellor Jones aren't rustling with this kind of stuff. But I fear that they are listening to people who hold these views, and that's one of the reasons they're agonizing over what should be the free speech policy for the University of Illinois. And the answer is, of course. More speech. It's a marketplace of ideas. That's what this is supposed to be all about. We're going to take a uh, break here. This will be our last break. And when we come back, we'll have uh, more time uh, to take your calls at 351-5667 with uh, Appellate Court Justice Robert Steigman. Back after this. All right, uh, let's go to the phones uh, here on the Penny for Tiny. Hello, Tiny. Good morning, Judge. Good morning. You're a uh, absolute breath of fresh air. Well, thank you. I, I don't, I, I love everything you said this morning. I don't disagree with you for one second. I love listening to a good, God-fearing. Patriotic American. Well, we don't have enough of them. On. <laughs> Come back tomorrow, please. Well, won't be tomorrow, <laughs> but uh, you know, I uh, I'm hopeful to make a return trip at some time. And thank you. All right, thank you, Judge. I appreciate it, uh, Tiny. A nice, uh, nice compliment. Thanks very much. Well, what's the best time to retire? Over the past two years, the average retirement age has been 63. The professionals at Busey Wealth Management can help you plan the right time for you. Deciding when to retire depends on your lifestyle preferences, the changes in circumstances such as divorce or health considerations, financial readiness. Busey Wealth Management can help determine your optimal strategy. They'll review a variety of uh, variables and uh, how much you plan to spend. Uh, Consider your needs and expenses there as well as your retirement goals. In your life expectancy, the average age is 84 for males and 86 for females. The experts understand no two situations are alike. They take time to listen and understand your needs. Years of experience allow unique insight into planning for a range of situations. 
Rest easy knowing they will simplify the complexities of planning for retirement. The experts at Busey Wealth Management can help identify your objectives, design a game plan to achieve your goals, and implement a program that fits your needs. Visit Busey.com or stop by one of their many convenient locations today for solutions for your lifetime. 3515667 is the text line, but it is time for Nanny Stories. Well, uh, I know you're a sensitive guy of the teens like me, Jim, so here's a quick one uh, designed to make sure that your language is correct. The Toronto's District School Board has announced that it will remove the word chief from all job titles out of concern that the word is a microaggression against indigenous peoples. So it's not just, you know, we're way ahead of the game here not having Chief Alane work, but now we can't have Chief of Police or Chief Engineer or Chief anything, which is interesting because that word didn't even originate as an indigenous word. Chief is actually an old French word meaning highest in rank or power, most prominent or important, supreme or best, and originates from the word, the Latin word, Caput. So it's not only chief, not an indigenous word, but also none of its original meanings even had anything to do with indigenous peoples or their leaders. It doesn't matter. Oh, my. So so be careful, because I expect that the word chief is not going to be part of the Jim Turpin vocabulary any longer. (laughs) Well, uh, that's not correct, because the people that uh, do uh, all of my... uh, uh, plumbing and heating and electrical work is a uh, chief. Oh, oh, well, they're okay. I'll they're, have to call them up, you know. Yeah, and I'll say, I'm going to ask them why they don't want to change their name. It's offensive to some people. It's some some going to take offense. The other thing is, uh, there's a new California law that says California health workers who willfully and repeatedly decline to use a senior transgender patient's preferred name or pronouns, the correct pronoun could face punishment ranging from file, from a fine to jail time. So uh, if you use the wrong gender pronoun that someone says, they, you know, that's not how I want to be referred to, you could be prosecuted and jailed, Jim. So I want to just alert you to that. Hey, we got to go to uh, Scott uh, real quickly here. Good morning, Scott. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, I enjoy listening to your show. Whenever I happen to be in the car between 9 and 11, I try to tune you in. Um, I wanted to ask Judge Steidman a question, um, and I I don't mean to be facetious, um, but I've heard the the statement, um, guns don't kill people, people kill people many times. You see it on the highway. Um, And I'm wondering how how that equates to hand grenades don't kill people, people kill people. Nuclear weapons don't kill people. People kill people. Well, it's the same thing. Should we be allowed? Should we be allowed to to have those weapons? No, and you're not. But it's the same I, thing. Right. Inanimate I'm, objects I'm, I'm, don't kill people. It's the people who use the inanimate objects who do. Uh, and uh, we have uh, bans on uh, hand grenades and uh, automatic weapons. And uh, you can't own a tank because you think it'd be fun to ride around in it. So. Sure, but I'm, I'm really referring to the logic of the statement. Well, why isn't the... It just doesn't make sense to me. The inanimate objects aren't dangerous. Do matches cause arson? Okay, then why aren't we allowed to have objects 
like hand grenades or nuclear weapons. Because they're dangerous. Okay. And guns aren't dangerous. Well, it's well, guns are dangerous in the wrong hands of people, but the and there's no need for hand grenades or nuclear weapons uh, <clears throat> aside from that. Whereas guns provide an important protection for people and their uh, own self-defense. And plus, okay, I, the I Constitution dis- says so. I don't disagree with that, and and uh, I don't feel that guns should be taken away from everyone. I I, I don't see any harm in. Uh, maybe more stringent background checks or or regulation, um, but I, it's just the it's just the guns don't peel, kill people, people kill people argument that I don't get. Okay, Scott, uh, we're in the last minute here. I'm going to have to cut you off, but I appreciate your call, sir. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you very much. Well, Bob, I uh, got a call from uh, Michael McCuskey the other day. He gave us uh, several dates in uh, later on in October and in uh, November. So we're going to pick one where the uh, three amigos, uh, Judge McCuskey, Justice Steigman, and uh, Jim Dye, the opinions editor of the News Gazette, are going to get together here in our brand new uh, studios, and uh, we'll have a good time. We'll be a terrific time, and now that Dye is such a star in the First Amendment, uh, it'll be a pleasure to be in his company. Thank you so much for your time this morning. I appreciate it thank very you, much. Jim. Ed Bond, uh, thank you for your help. We'll be back tomorrow morning at 9 on WDWS in Champaign-Urbana. CBS News, I'm Peter King. At least three people have been killed, two injured after a shooting at an office park in Edgewood, Maryland, in the northeastern part of the state. It is the result of a handgun. It looks like a single weapon was used in this incident. Harford County.